Welcome to Least of These, where I cover the cases that need it most because every life matters and everyone deserves justice. I'm your host, Leah D. Today, I'll be covering the suspicious suicide of William Jake Embert in Albany, Georgia. I got the amazing opportunity to work with Jake's family on this case, and I cannot wait to share their story and their fight for justice. Oftentimes, the victim is overshadowed by the events and the perpetrator, but you guys, Jake was an amazing man, and I can't wait to tell y'all all about him. Let's get right to it. On May 12, 1961, William Bernard Embert was born in Wilmington, Delaware. He was the youngest of six and had five older sisters. Being the baby and the only boy to a family, y'all know Jake was spoiled. After all, he didn't just have one mom, he had six mother hens doting and pecking at him. But old Jake, he didn't seem to mind. His sister Yvonne recalls the one and only time she was ever in trouble was when she caught a turtle down at the creek and she tried scaring Jake with the turtle. So she held it towards him and said, rah, but this turtle was the biting kind and it lunged and bit Jake's ear and man, oh man, was she in trouble. Jake was the son his father had always dreamed of and nobody was going to mess with him. His father was a World War II veteran, a literal war hero, a sharpshooter and a Purple Heart recipient with a work ethic that would put us all to shame. There was no slacking tolerated in the Embert family and hard work was a requirement. And Jake was no exception. It seemed he was born mechanically inclined and from a very early age, he enjoyed working on cars and wrestling. And that name Jake... Yeah, it's not his actual name. Actually, it's nowhere in there. But his dad gave him that name and it, well, it just stuck. And I mean stuck. His family, friends, and everyone who knew him just simply called him Jake. And when he was young, his extended family and friends would tease him and refer to him as Jake the Snake. But Jake took it in stride like he did most things. In 1982, he joined the army and served his country proudly, rising to the rank of sergeant. He met his first wife, Sue, while still serving in the army and stationed in Barstow, California. She already had an infant daughter named Rachel, but that didn't bother Jake one bit, and in July of 1983, the pair were married. When Rachel was just nine months old, Jake assumed the role of dad, which he took very seriously. So seriously, in fact, that when Rachel was three years old, Jake, who had long adopted her in his heart, made it legal and adopted her on paper, and she officially became an Embert. As a military family, there were frequent moves, and the family even spent some time overseas in Germany. And while Jake was an outstanding soldier, it gets hard sometimes being away from any and all family. So Jake decided to get out of the army and move to Albany, Georgia. You see, Sue had family there since her mother and father had retired in Albany since getting out of the Marine Corps. It would be good for the family. 
they'd finally have family support and the job opportunities for Jake would be endless, especially with his military experience. MCLB Albany is a military base, however, the workforce is comprised of mostly civilian employees, roughly 80% in fact. There are benefits to being a civilian employee, no more moves, still a great retirement, better pay, and the list goes on. Jake became a hydraulic mechanic at MCLB Albany, and he was a legend, one of the best damn mechanics they ever had, and everyone loved him. Honestly, what's not to love? On the weekends, you could find Jake at the track racing his 75 Pontiac Firebird. In April of 1997, the Emberts welcomed a son, William, Jake's namesake, and he was over the moon excited. Like most dads, Jake wanted a son to roughhouse with and coach little league teams, work on cars, and Jake and Will did just that. Their bond was like no other. Jake and Will were best friends. Even as Will became a teenager and most kids are ducking and dodging to avoid their parents, Will could often be found hanging with his dad. Jake and his first wife, Sue, were both very hard workers, and the home they owned and raised their kids in reflected that. It was a beautiful home. It had a pool house and a large two-car garage where Jake could usually be found working on his cars. And the tools. So many tools. He kept his garage immaculate and could tell if you even so much as sneezed on one of his tools. His daughter, Rachel, admits that she was a bit of a pistol and gave her parents a run for their money. And if you know Rach, you know that's true. But that tenacity is a huge part of why I'm even here telling you this story. But we'll get to that a little bit later. Rachel recalls even though she could be a handful and her father would have to show her tough love at times, he always did it with a loving heart. I'll say it again. Jake was an exceptional dad. In 2010, Sue and Jake divorced after 26 years together. It came as an absolute shock to family and friends. It had always been Sue and Jake, and they were always so good together. It's hard for everyone to process, but especially Rachel and Will. Marriage is so hard, y'all. The kids split their time with both parents, and everyone got on to this new normal. Jake started dating again, and he had a few relationships, but didn't seem ready to settle down just yet. So he went looking for love online and subscribed to a couple dating sites. He had been out of the game for quite some time, so all this was new to him. But in 2012, he met Susan. Susan Marie Johnson Melton Majors Fortune, aka Lady Fortune. She'd obviously had a prior marriage or three, but hey. People make mistakes, so the family gives her a chance. I mean, Jake saw something in her, maybe they would too. And oh, do they ever. But let's not get ahead of ourselves. Jake fell fast and hard, or so it appeared. He had only been dating Susan for a few months when he made statements to his sister like, Don't be surprised if I end up married. I have to take care of my responsibilities. It seemed like an odd statement for Jake to make. Was he hinting that Susan was pregnant? I mean, she was 50. It just didn't seem likely, especially for a whoops, I'm pregnant situation. Advanced maternal age is defined by the Mayo Clinic as anyone over 35, 
which seems hella young to me, but I'm not a doctor. But by age 50, you generally just don't end up pregnant without medical intervention. But maybe that's not what he meant. Who knows? Jake was a private guy. It wasn't like him to blast his business all over, so the family doesn't pry or read too much into it. But Lady Fortune, on the other hand, well, she had a flair for the dramatic. But we'll get back to that. Soon enough, issues arose that couldn't be ignored. Jake had always been a healthy guy. I mean, not the kind that runs marathons or lives in the gym, but he's barely 50 and still working as a hydraulic mechanic, which is a physically demanding job. It's that blue collar work where your hands are dirty and you're working muscles you didn't even know you had. It's a kind of strength that you're not going to get in the gym. In the fall of 2012, Jake was at home watching a football game when all of a sudden he starts to have chest pains and just doesn't feel right. So he gets in his car and drives himself to the emergency room. He barely made it through the door when he collapsed on the floor. Doctors and nurses scrambled to assist Jake and thankfully they were able to save him. They're all shocked when they learned he had driven himself because Jake has suffered a major heart attack, which was odd again since he had no prior medical history or issues concerning his heart. But Jake is tough. I mean, that's pretty obvious. And soon he's recovered enough to be cracking jokes about it. And Susan? Well, it seems she's the perfect person to take care of Jake because she was a home health nurse. And not only was she a nurse, her mother was too. So caretaking is just in her DNA. She assured the family that she could and would take care of Jake. I mean, this had to be the perfect setup, right? A home health nurse? What more could you ask for? So Susan moved in. And in true Susan fashion, it's dramatic, of course. It wasn't just like, hey, I'm moving in to take care of Jake. No, no. It's a desperate call in the middle of the night. See, Susan and her mother had been living with a man by the name of William Bell. He was an older gentleman, and of course, Susan and her mother were helping to care for him. Jake gets that desperate call from Susan claiming that Mr. Bell is waving a gun and threatening her and her mother. So Jake, being the good guy that he is, wakes up Will and immediately heads over to the house to rescue Susan and her mother. And just like that, Susan is there for good. But it doesn't get better when Susan moves in, not by a freaking long shot. It goes from weird to weirder. Jake's daughter, Rachel, had relocated to Iowa, but she came home for Christmas to visit family and friends and finally got the chance to meet Susan. So they all went to dinner at Rachel's favorite restaurant. And in this very first meeting, she immediately noticed something was a little off with Susan. I mean, this was a planned dinner. However, she doesn't order anything to eat. Not to mention she was talking a mile a minute and couldn't seem to sit still. It appears she was under the influence of something, according to Rachel. It was an odd first meeting to say the very least. There's just something really odd about Susan, although no one can really put their finger on it. And it wasn't just Rachel. Everyone noticed that Susan just wasn't Jake's typical type. Jake always went for the classy ladies. And Susan? Well, how do I say this? She was a little rough around the edges. 
but everyone just accepts it. I mean, what other choice do they really have? Jake's a grown man and he made his own decisions. However, their intuition might have been right. Around this time, Jake's health took another decline and he began to suffer from a sudden onset of a seizure disorder, or so that's what Susan claimed. Jake, who had never, prior to meeting Susan, had any medical issues, was slowly becoming sicker and sicker. First, it's the heart attack and then the seizures, and he keeps having this pain in his abdomen that he says is killing him, and nobody can put their finger on exactly what in the fresh hell is going on. It doesn't make any sense. But Susan is there to take care of him, of course. I mean, she pushes everyone out of the way and is now his main caretaker. After all, she's a nurse, right? She knows exactly what she's doing. And they aren't this happy-go-lucky couple anyway. Jake's teenage son, Will, would report that Susan and Jake frequently argued. And Susan would just relentlessly go after Jake, accusing him of all kinds of crazy shit. His sister Yvonne flies into Albany. She's becoming worried, as is everyone else, that Jake's health is on the decline. And while her trip wasn't intended for her to be present for a wedding, that's exactly what happened. She is informed that Jake and Susan are going to get married right away. And by right away, they do mean right away. Susan is pushing for this to happen immediately. With Jake's declining health, it just makes sense that they get married so Susan, the nurse, can take care of him, right? So, she is there on March 8th of 2013 when Jake Embert marries Susan Johnson Melton Majors Fortune. It's a rushed courthouse wedding that almost didn't happen because a judge was on his way out, but stays there just to marry the two. If only he hadn't. Not likely it would have mattered for too long, though, because Lady Fortune was determined to get her man. Hardworking Jake begins to have to call in sick from work, something that is so completely out of character for him. And Jake isn't alone in his declining health. The family dog Zoe, a brindle pit bull mix, whom Jake loved and absolutely adored. I mean, I say family dog, but everybody knew Zoe really belonged to Jake, and she kind of tolerated everyone else, particularly Susan and her little dog. Well, Zoe starts suffering from seizures too, according to the family. And in case anyone is keeping track, that's two newly diagnosed seizure conditions in one freaking family in the span of about a year. And while Zoe was getting on up there in age, she had always been healthy and had absolutely no history of seizures. It's just a few months after their marriage and Zoe is suffering. So Susan takes her to the vet. She returns without Zoe and says that they did everything they could, but Zoe had to be put down. She was just too sick. Jake, of course, was devastated, but he didn't question his new wife. Financially responsible and hardworking Jake also begins to call family members to ask to borrow money. He's burned through all his sick time and his leave at work. And oddly enough, every time a phone call is made by Jake asking for help, 
Susan is heard in the background. She's right there on top of Jake, making sure he asks for the correct dollar amount. Meanwhile, Jake's daughter Rachel decides that Iowa just isn't where it's at. She missed her family and friends, so she puts in a job transfer and moves back home to be closer to everyone. She was so excited. She moves back in June of 2013, just three months after Jake has married Miss Lady Fortune. But when she gets back home, things just aren't the same. Again, it's like she can't exactly put her finger on it, but her dad, with whom she's always been incredibly close with, is acting distant and not exactly like himself. The more time she spent around Susan, the more she noticed that she is just completely different than any other woman her dad had previously been in relationships with, and she just can't shake this odd feeling. Visits to her childhood home, which used to be so welcoming, you know, it felt like home. All of a sudden, it just didn't seem so much like home. There was this unwelcoming presence and heavy energy filling the air. And Susan, well, she seems to just disappear like Houdini if she knew Rachel was coming to visit. She'd be at a store, have an errand to run. She just wasn't around. And if Rachel showed up unannounced, she'd make an excuse to leave. And Jake's stomach issues just kept flaring up, especially after he would eat. And those around Jake, they noticed, even his co-workers. He would bring in meals prepared at home to eat on his lunch break, and Jake, being the good dude that he was, would offer to share. But no one, and I mean no one, ever took him up on his offer, and they would jokingly say amongst themselves that they weren't eating that. I mean, look what it was doing to him. Who was preparing those meals? You guessed it, his wife Susan. And maybe everyone assumed she was just a really bad cook. I mean, she's Jake's wife and a nurse, right? Couldn't be anything nefarious going on. This continued for nearly a year and a half. Jake Embert seemed to get sicker and sicker. In April of 2014, Jake is at work when he comes in and asks his supervisor if he had any Tums, you know, the antacid, because he's not feeling well and he thinks it's probably just indigestion. He directs Jake to the concessions or the food trucks just outside the office. Jake goes and asks one of the ladies who he knows pretty well. I mean, this is a small base and a small community and everyone does tend to know one another. According to family, she takes a look at Jake and asks him if he is okay and says, Jake, I think you're having a heart attack. He laid down on some picnic tables outside the concessions and 911 was called. And Jake was definitely having another heart attack. And it's a big one. He was rushed to the hospital and it was confirmed. Jake has suffered another massive heart attack. This is the big one, the Widowmaker, and he's lucky to be alive. Jake would later credit the quick reactions of his girl at the concessions for saving his life. And he wasn't wrong. She saved his life. It's then that Jake is completely unable to work. He's eventually so sick he was attempting to file temporary disability. He spoke with his sister and in true Jake fashion, he was cracking jokes, saying, Hey, this is your ghost brother. You're not going to get rid of me that easy. He expresses that he can't wait to get better and get back to work. And his family has had enough. They're ready for answers. His sister says she's going to come down there and she'll take Jake to the doctor and get to the bottom of exactly what is going on. But Susan doesn't want that to happen. After all, she's a nurse. 
She knows how to take care of her patient. Jake had been seeing his family doctor, and on June 18, 2014, his doctor had requested some tests be ran because Jake was complaining of gastro issues again, and his doctor was growing concerned. He ordered CT scans of his abdomen and pelvis, and those scans showed abnormalities. So on Thursday, June 26, at a follow-up appointment, Jake's doctor ordered further testing. The abnormalities on the CT scan were concerning, and he wanted Jake to follow up with a colonoscopy so they could finally get answers as to why Jake was having these issues, according to the doctor's testimony. But he wouldn't get a chance to get those answers. On June 28, 2014, at 11.04 a.m., a frantic call is placed to 911, by Susan, claiming that she needed help. Her husband, Jake, had shot himself in the head and he was gone. She seemed frantic, screaming, but then calm and then screaming again, which I mean, I don't think any of us know exactly how we would react in that situation. But there are several statements made by Susan on that 911 call that are troubling. And it began even before Susan was aware that she was being recorded. What some people fail to realize is that when a 911 call is placed, it immediately begins recording, even before the dispatcher is on the line. And exactly what does that 911 call capture? Well, take a listen for yourself. Listen closely to the first words Susan uttered while she was being connected to 911. Did y'all catch that? The first words out of her mouth? Oh my God, baby, you're out of pain now? Seems like an awfully odd thing to say after you've just found your husband dead of an apparent suicide, right? The call goes on and Susan tells dispatch the address and so on. And then she makes a few more statements to the 911 operator that just will again listen for yourself. Road. I didn't touch them. I didn't know what to do. I just can't let it loose. Uh, ma'am, listen to me. Where did you shoot himself at? Huh? Where did you shoot himself at, ma'am? In the head, I guess, because it's bleeding from his head. I couldn't look. Hey, is, he, is he conscious, ma'am? No. I don't think so. I don't know. I just think I already dug off. I walked in here to leave. He, he, oh my God, we got married about two years ago, and, and he, I found out he was gay. I didn't know this, and, and I didn't give him a hard time. I said, you know, so long, just, just tell me what's wrong. Well, he was gay, 
And then he got these diseases and transmitted disease or something. And I don't know what. And he was sick. He had two heart attacks now and he was tired of hurting. He got his in the head. Okay, ma'am, listen to me. How old is he? He's 53. 53? Yes, ma'am. And, and he's not conscious of breathing, right? I don't think. Let me go look, okay? I don't know if I can. Okay, ma'am. <laughs> let me see. I don't know why he did this to me. <laughs> it's son. No, he's not. He's dead. Okay. All right, ma'am. Don't touch him or anything, okay? I'm not. Please, in this state. Anyway, he's got him up in his head. I got to suck at all of dogs. Ma'am, what's your name? My name is Susan. What's your last name? Amber. Oh, my God. His son's here. I'm scared he's going to die. Ma'am? His son just comes up. Oh, my God. I got to You say yes. his son did? Yeah. Will, where you at? Where you at? Come here. I didn't touch stuff. I didn't know what to do. The 911 operator at this point hasn't advised Susan to stay clear of the scene or not to move or touch anything. She was just trying to get the address so EMS and police could be dispatched. Susan came up with that one all on her own. Interesting. Seems like odd timing to be worried about what you've touched, if you ask me. I heard the gun go off and I walked in here. I mean, if you hear a gunshot in your home, you think you're just walking in there to find out what happened? Just waltzing down the hallway. Come on, man. And maybe that's a slip of the tongue. But what she says next is no accident. He's gay? She found out he was gay and didn't give him a hard time. No one in the history of ever has ever known Jake to be gay. And what in the hell does that have to do with anything anyway? He's got what kind of diseases? Her husband had just shot himself. She's walked into the room upon a gruesome scene and she decided to talk about how long they've been married, that he's gay and he's got some transmitted diseases or something and his medical history of heart attacks. What in the fried cracklings is going on here? During this 911 call, Will, Jake's son, arrived back at the home. See, Will was only away for about 50 to 55 minutes. The amount of time it took him to drive from the family home to pick up his girlfriend and back because he had plans with his father. Plans that if you knew Jake, you knew he would never miss. Will had just discussed those plans at the kitchen table with his father just a little less than an hour prior. And Jake, well, he was geared up and ready to go to the drag strip with his boy and watch the brand new owner of his beloved Pontiac Firebird race his car. Oh yeah, did I forget to mention that just weeks prior to his death, Jake had traded his Firebird? And all at the urging of who? Well, I bet by now you can guess. And there's so much more to that story, but we'll have to save that one for later. Back to the scene. Will pulled up and instructed his girlfriend to stay in the truck. He could tell something was wrong. Susan was on the phone frantically screaming. Will approached her after a few moments outside near the front of the house. And how did this bitch tell Jake's only son that his father is dead from a supposed suicide? 
She held her hand in the shape of a gun and pressed it to her head and gestured that his father had shot himself in the head. And what can be heard next on that 911 call is absolutely heartbreaking. You could hear Will Embert's heart shatter in a million pieces as he collapsed to his knees and cried out once he came to the realization that his father and best friend was gone. Y'all, it's a sound I'll never, as long as I live, forget. The Doherty County Police responded and an investigation is launched. And by investigation, I mean a handful of photos, a police report, and a call to the coroner. The responding officer did call his supervisor and brief him on the situation. The supervisor responded to the scene, but the on-call detective never even made an appearance. The coroner arrived on scene quickly. He snapped a few more photos of Jake's body. The gun was taken and entered into evidence for safekeeping. Family members of both Jake and Susan had arrived at the home at this time. Rachel, Jake's daughter, according to her testimony, asked the coroner, Mr. Michael Fowler, if he was sure that her father had committed suicide, repeatedly stating, are you sure my father did this? Are you sure my father did this? And he said that he was sure and that the injury was a press contact wound to the head. Jake Embert's death was quickly ruled a suicide. And when I say quickly, I mean quickly. 38 minutes. 38 minutes passed between the 911 call at 11.04 a.m. until the case was closed as a suicide at 11.42 a.m. I honestly have no words, y'all. Jake's body was removed from the scene and taken to Banks Funeral Home in Sylvester, Georgia, and he was cremated in less than 24 hours. That is the moment this story would have ended had it not been for Jake's family. Case closed. You see, this doesn't make sense to anyone who knew Jake. None of it does. Jake Embert loved life. Regardless of the sudden onset of strange illnesses, he fought so hard to get better. He wanted to return to work. He had a great relationship with his family. He would have never left them by his own hands, and he damn sure would not have committed suicide when he knew his best friend and namesake Will was on his way back to the house and ready to go to that race. Jake would have never, not in a million years, subjected Will to that pain. And so the family urges police to continue to investigate, but in return, they get a whole bunch of lip service and even some pushback. A lead investigator on the case actually had the freaking audacity to look Jake's daughter in the eyes after she had just lost her dad and say something along the lines of, suicide victims are the worst. They can never accept that their family members take their own life, according to Rachel. Why would a family accept something that they believe to be untrue when you, as the police, had not thoroughly investigated? How could they accept it? And the Embert fam? Well, they're not going out like that. No ma'am, no ham, no turkey. Jake's sister Yvonne begins speaking to friends of hers that are in the law and law enforcement fields. And they're concerned too. This doesn't make any sense. So after countless phone calls and endless frustration, she's sitting at her desk at work. She googled private investigator Albany, Georgia. She closed her eyes and asked God to help direct her. 
and placed her finger on the screen. And whose name was under her finger? Who did fate bring her to? It would be the one man this family needed more than anything. Mr. Lee Wilson of Southeast Legal Investigation and Detection. Divine intervention? I mean, I sure think so. And that, my friends, is exactly where I'm going to have to leave you until part two. But as you know, I always love to leave you just a little breadcrumb. So, Miss Thang Susan? Yeah, she was never, not here, not there, never a nurse, never a nurse anywhere. But that's only one of the many lies she told that slowly unraveled one by one. I'll post some more information on Jake's case on my Facebook at least of these and my Instagram at least underscore of these new episodes drop every Thursday. Be sure you subscribe wherever you get your podcast so you'll never miss an episode. Believe me, you don't want to miss part two. Huge shout out to the Embert family. I want to thank you guys so much for entrusting me with your story. Thank you for listening. Thank you for caring. If you know something, say something. And until next time, be good to each other.